0: We are so excited about Easter, are you? Huh? It's going to be phenomenal. We have worked so hard to make this a not-to-miss event where we can share the hope of Jesus, but we don't just want you not to miss it. We we don't want anyone in your sphere of influence to miss it. So please be inviting people. We have We have invitation cards and you can get them either at the south entrance upstairs or the main entrance as you leave. There'll be people handing these out or you can go to the guest service table. Get these, as many as you want. Please be inviting everyone you can. 11 services here in Plymouth, 8 services at our regional campus, 19 in all to share the hope of Jesus and it's all It all comes down to, are there people in the seats or not? And that's up to us. And I have to tell you, our team did a great job on that Alexa video, didn't they? I mean, they did a phenomenal job, it's so cool. They put that together, and I'm a little concerned, it's so good that no one's going to be here at 1116. It could be, but we just hope that you'll fill up all those services and you'll pick out those unique times, and Stickyard's going to be phenomenal again this year, and so it's going to be fantastic. Be praying about that, would you? And we want to give you a sneak peek in. Over the course of our last series, I was doing Facebook Live to take you deeper and beyond the talks of each weekend, and that's done, but this week I'm going to do a Facebook Live Thursday evening sometime. I don't know the time yet, but we're going to give you a a backdoor look at all that's going on for Easter. You're going to meet the video team and see some clips that are coming up. We've actually done, we've produced and directed and shot our own Northridge short film to bring Easter in and then you're going to meet some of our worship team and I'd love for you to join that and because I can't tell you the time, I'm not sure yet in order to make sure you get that you have to kind of like my page. And so go to my Facebook page and like that now or sometime before Thursday, please, and then you'll be a part of that backstage tour. Also, I have an Instagram account, uh, at Brad Powell. Love for you to follow that because uh, for the Easter weekend, we've We have a a professional photographer who is a part of the Northridge family and has agreed to take over my Instagram to give you a quality look, because my photography is not quality, to give you a quality look behind the scenes of Easter. It's going to be a really neat thing, so I hope you'll connect with that. And and finally, we're going to receive an offering now, and I I just want to remind you, the reason we give is because God's already provided everything to us, he's given everything to us, and and we love the giver of the gifts more than the gifts themselves. He's our security, and so we worship him by, by giving back to him. And when we give here at Northridge, you just need to know your giving is changing lives all around the world. It really is. We're about waking the world up to Jesus, and when you give, it's changing lives. In fact, everything that happens on Easter only happens because of your generosity, and so thousands and thousands, over 30,000 lives are going to be impacted through your giving, and I'm so proud of you. Many ways that you can give, and right now, we're actually going to experience one of them. We're going to pass baskets through your row. Would you stand with me at this time, and let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this moment in time that we have to lift up the name of Jesus to talk about the cross and how it has the final word. And I just pray that you would mark us forever, make a difference in us. And now, as we worship you through giving, we're simply acknowledging you're our security, you're our provider, you're our hope, and we're wanting to be a part of all that you're doing in this place and through this place. And so use the resources that come in through this generosity to change lives. And we'll thank you for it, God, in Jesus' name, amen. After the basket goes to your row, you can be seated. There is nothing more important than the cross. The cross is essential, absolutely at the center of Christianity. In fact, without the cross, there is no true Christianity. The worship song that we've been singing for the last couple of weeks powerfully communicates this reality, sorrow may come in the darkest night, but the cross is the final word. Evil may put up the strongest fight, but the cross is the final word. The Savior has come with the morning light, but the cross is the final word. He traded death for eternal life. The cross has the final word. Here's the truth. I want us to talk about this weekend. Without the cross, we have no hope in this world. Without the cross, there is no hope for us as people. The Bible makes this really clear, Ephesians chapter two, verses 12 through 13. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, without hope and without God in the world. Before Jesus and his cross, we, could have no relationship with God because of our sin and guilt and shame. We were separated from him, our source of life, and, and we couldn't have hope because we couldn't have God. But now, verse 13 says, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away without God and without hope have been brought near once again in relationship with God and filled with hope. How? By the blood of Christ. This truth is so essential for us to understand. Without the cross... We have no hope. But as important and beautiful and compelling as it is to Jesus' followers, the cross is what turns many people away from Christianity today. They, they don't get why Jesus had to bleed and die and experience such a barbaric death just so that God could forgive us of our sins, it it doesn't even make sense to them. It doesn't compute. In their minds, it, if God is real, then why in the world would he have to kill Jesus to forgive us? I mean, can't he do whatever he wants? He spoke the universe into existence according to what Christians believe, then why doesn't he just, come on, forgive people with all, at all this suffering and dying stuff? I mean, come on, he's bigger than us, he's more powerful than us, and don't we give a wink and a nod to each other oh, when we sin? Don't we let each other off the hook all the time? Don't we forgive each other all the time? Why can't he do that? Why all this cross stuff? Making sense of the cross is my focus this weekend because until you understand the essential nature of the cross, you'll never experience the redeeming power of it. Thank you. (laughs) My wife's here. (sighs) There are some things that we need to know if if we're going to make sense of the cross. Wherever you're at in the spectrum of your spiritual journey, wherever you're at, yeah, someone not even buying into the whole God thing and this Jesus thing and not getting the, the cross thing all the way to the cross is really important to you, there are things that I believe many of us don't understand which, which causes us to miss the full sense of the cross. And as we focus on the cross, I believe it can come alive to us wherever we're at on that spectrum. That's been my prayer what we have to do is we have to go back to the very very beginning God created Adam and Eve and he created Adam and Eve in his image and at that time they were pure and they were innocent they had no sin and no shame no reason for shame no guilt but they did have the capacity for guilt they did have the capacity for sin and for rebellion because God, when he created them in his image, gave them free choice. They could choose. Now, they the symbol of their free choice was that tree that God had placed in the middle of the Garden of Eden, that place called Paradise. It was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you, you need to know that The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the one thing they didn't need. They had everything they needed, relationship with God, relationship with each other, perfect relationship with the environment and all the food and pleasure sources that they need. They didn't need that tree. It was simply the one thing that God forbade them to have they didn't need so that they had choice. They weren't just automatons. They weren't just robots. But because God forbade it. If they ate from it what they were saying was we're going to try and live without you, we're going to walk away from you. If, if they ate from that tree God made it clear that they would die. Because in eating it and walking away from God they'd be separated from him and he was the only source who could provide love and joy and purpose and hope and life itself. Well They used their gift of free choice to walk away from God, to disobey him, and and to sin. They chose death. And what you need to understand is that Adam and Eve's sin created a seeming dilemma for God. And I say seeming because he had it figured out, but, but it was a sticky wicket. When you look at it. Because in Ezekiel 18 verse 4. And all the way through his revealed word to us. The Bible makes it clear. The soul who sins is the one who will die. What God had told Adam and Eve in the garden. Was the perpetual pattern. If you choose to walk away from me. To sin. To live without me. You are choosing death. The soul who sins will die. Because you're walking away from the only source of life. The soul who sins is the one who will die. But there's this other side of God. 2 Peter 3.9 says it really clearly, the Lord is not wanting anyone to die, not wanting anyone to perish, but but God wants everyone to come to repentance, to, to walk with him, to be in relationship with him, to experience his promises and power. And so we've got these two things. God said the soul who sins has to die, death is the only thing that they have the right to experience. But God doesn't want anyone to die. He wants to forgive everyone and have them walking with him. And, and we have this seeming dilemma because you see, on the one hand, God is holy and just. Psalm 99, verse 9 says, for the Lord our God is holy. I mean, absolutely holy, set apart, different, perfect. And 2 Thessalonians 1.6 says what the whole Bible says. God is just. He does what's right. He does what he says. He never makes a promise and, and fails to deliver on it. God's just. When he says, if I get to 10, I'm going to punish you, he doesn't get to 10 and then say, 10.1, 10.2, 10.3 like we do. He's absolutely just. He has to deliver on what he said. And God says the soul who sins is the one who will die. Now, if all there was to God was his justice, then what would have immediately happened when Adam and Eve sinned? Death would have immediately happened because God is just and the soul who sins will die. Someone who is just can't compromise on justice, they can't overlook it or wink at it because the minute they wink at something that's wrong, they are themselves not just. They're compromising justice, they, they have to be true to their word. but. Holiness and justice is not all that God is. It's true, on the one hand, God is holy and just, but on the other hand, God is merciful and forgiving. Daniel 9.9 says it straight up. The Lord, our God, is merciful and forgiving. Now, have you ever thought about this? These things are opposites. I mean, to be just and to be forgiving, they don't go together. The idea of mercy and forgiveness puts the push on justice. It creates tension and dissonance because someone who is merciful and forgiving can't compromise that part of themselves. They, they need to forgive but, but a God who's just can't just let people off the hook. And so God comes up with this solution. God's solution was to sacrifice an innocent substitute so that he could be just who he is and he could be forgiving who he is and not compromise either side of it. He would sacrifice an innocent substitute. And it would be easy for many of us to read through the Bible over and over and over again and miss this interesting passage in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve had sinned. The soul who sins is going to die. They cover themselves with a fig leaf, right? Trying to hide behind their shame and their guilt. For the very first time, they are, they are guilty. And they try to hide behind fig leaves, but God didn't say that the soul who sins just has to cover up. The Bible says the soul who sins must die and for God to forgive there has to be a death I mean there just has to be and so Genesis chapter 3 verse 21 the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and and clothed them no the fig leaves won't do because the soul that sins must die. They tried to cover their sin and shame with those leaves, but it wasn't enough. Justice demanded death. Nothing else would do, because as Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, and so God was just. He punished sin. He exercised his justice on an innocent third party, and if you just think about it, I know it's just one little verse in Genesis 3. You know, he, he covered them with the the fur of an animal but think about how dramatic that was. Adam and Eve had never ever experienced or seen death of any kind and they were one with their environment they had named all the animals they had never seen death but now think about it. The hands that had created all things, the hands of God who they had walked with and, and enjoyed, now took the life of an innocent animal. Why? Because he was just, he was true to his word, but he was also true to his nature to show mercy and to forgive. He satisfied both his justice and his grace. He covered them through the shedding of blood of an innocent third party. Now, you need to know that the story keeps moving forward because Adam and Eve sin was inherited by the entire human race, it was inherited by us. Two flawed individuals can't come together and conceive perfection, it just doesn't happen that way. And so, because of Adam and Eve's sin, every single human being born through them and since has been just as flawed and just as sinful, we've inherited it. Look at Romans chapter 5 verse 12, sin entered the world through one man, Adam and thus death through sin because the soul that sins must die and in this way death came to all men because all have sinned it's now our problem and God on one hand is just and on one hand is forgiving and how does it work well in order to give people any kind of hope and in order to continue dealing with with mankind God had to continue to satisfy his justice punishing sin and his grace offering forgiveness so how did he do it well let's just walk through the Bible a little bit let's go back to Egypt God's people were in Egypt and and all of a sudden Pharaoh and the Egyptians who were the most powerful nation in the world of that day hated them and so they they made God's people Israel slaves and they treated him them horrendously and horrifically, I mean tragically, even so much as having their baby boys that were born murdered so that they couldn't develop strength as a nation and overcome Egypt. These people were horrific and filled with darkness and so God said, I want to redeem my people from this situation. And in Egypt, God's justice was satisfied through an innocent substitute just like it was in the Garden of Eden. You need to know that that because God was trying to deliver his people from Egypt and Egypt was trying to keep them enslaved, finally God through Moses came and, and authored 10 plagues to try and break the back of Pharaoh because he wouldn't let God's people go. And the 10th plague was promised and this was the promise. Every single living being in Egypt, every single group will lose the firstborn of all their families, of all of their beings, period. I mean, he was told, Pharaoh, that your firstborn will die and the firstborn of your cows will die and the firstborn of all of your livestock will die and the firstborn of every family in all of Egypt will die and even the firstborn of all of Israel, anyone in Egypt will die. I mean, that's what's going to happen. But God, being both just and forgiving, came up with a solution. How could God be just and do what he said and still spare the children of his people, the firstborn of his people? Well, he used the same solution. What he did was, he offered an innocent lamb. You see, they would have to kill an innocent lamb, a lamb that had no flaws, a lamb without blemish, and then they would have to apply the blood of that lamb to the door frames of their house and the windows of their house, and when the death angel would come to take the firstborn, when the blood of the innocent substitute was there, the firstborn would be spared, God being both just and forgiving, but if the blood wasn't there, what would happen? The firstborn would die. Look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 23. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Now you need to know, and maybe there are some words in what I'm talking about that you don't know, but probably most of them you've heard before. This was considered the first Passover lamb. God would pass over these homes in forgiveness and still be just because the blood of an innocent lamb was applied to the home. The lamb did nothing. It was innocent, but by its sacrifice, God could be just and yet still forgive, but God made it clear the blood had to be applied. If an Israel family said, hey, come on, God's not going to kill the firstborn. God loves us. God does this. We, we can do all this other stuff. We can, we can, you know, have a seance. We can do whatever we want. But we're not going to kill a lamb. I mean, this is our livestock. We're just not going to do it. What did the lamb do? If they refused to allow the lamb to be killed and the blood to be applied to their home, then their firstborn in all of their household died. They had to use their free will to choose to apply the blood. Israel did, their firstborns were spared. Pharaoh didn't, they lost their firstborn. And it wasn't just in Egypt. Because you see, sin is man's problem from the beginning of time and throughout. And so in Israel, in all the history of Israel, God's justice continued to be satisfied through the offering of an innocent substitute. When you read the Old Testament, it can be a really awful read at times because animals were being killed by the thousands. It's crazy. Why? Why so bloody? Why so awful? Well, look at Hebrews 9 7 but only the high priest can enter the inner room, the holy of holies, into God's presence, and he can only enter in, this one person in all of Israel can only enter into God's presence just once a year, and he can't enter in God's presence without blood. There has to be an innocent animal sacrificed, and the blood has to be applied to his life so he can go into this holy of holies, and there, in that holy of holies, he offers the blood sacrifices of innocent animals for the sins committed by the people of God and so God is just and God is forgiving. Multitudes of animals died over the years covering the sins of mankind so that God could be just and merciful. But, but you need to know there were limitations to what the blood of an innocent third party could be. If you go back to the garden, what could that, that animal's death do? God covered them with the garments of the fur, right? God covered them. That's the only thing it can do. It can cover them on the outside. It can cover them so that God doesn't have to take their life, but they're still guilty. They're still filled with shame. They're still driven by darkness. You see, this is really, really important to get. Innocent animal sacrifices were incomplete and only temporary substitutes. They had to be offered time and time again year after year after year and it only covered the outside it changed nothing on the inside Hebrews 9:13 the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are what's that word outwardly clean But inside, still guilty and filled with shame and darkness and dysfunction, still driven by the same junk that Adam and Eve filled the world with in their sin. And obviously, an animal could not provide a complete and lasting forgiveness for man's sin. The best it could do was provide a temporary outward covering for people. It couldn't redeem them couldn't remove their guilt, it couldn't change their nature, it couldn't give them new life, they were just covered temporarily. That would have, the only way they could experience redemption, the only way they could experience new life, the soul that sins must die, is that they would have to die for their sins, unless God could come up with another plan. Unless there could be a sacrifice of equal value, who unlike them, had never sinned, was never made imperfect, was above reproach and without blemish, but were equal to them in their humanity and that innocent sacrifice of humanity, then dying in their place. That's the only way. But how in the world could that ever happen? Well, God promised that he would provide a complete and lasting substitute, that God would do exactly that, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, even in the midst of their sin and when God was communicating the curse of their, their sinfulness, he said in Genesis three fifteen, and he was speaking to the evil one, to the serpent, to Satan, and I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, those who follow you and, and hers. And you need to know that ultimately... Her offspring is going to crush your head and destroy evil and destroy darkness and destroy all that you've done in this world. But you'll strike his heel, you'll win some battles and you'll do some damage but in the end you'll lose. God was promising even way back then that he was going to provide a complete and lasting substitute. So the death that we deserved could be fully forgiven and eradicated so that we could experience the life that he created us for. Look at how Isaiah 53 says it, 700 years before Jesus was born, 700 years before, before the idea of crucifixion and the cross was ever even invented by some horrific mind of humanity. God says, but he was pierced for our transgressions, pierced as his nails he was crushed for our iniquities. I mean, his whole body was crushed. Every joint was pulled out of place when dropped in that hole on that cross. The punishment that brought us peace, the complete and full redemption that satisfied God's curse of death on those who had sinned, the peace that was on us was given by him and by his wounds we are healed. He was led like a... What? lamb, to the slaughter. You know that first little Passover lamb? It was simply pointing to the lamb who would come and give us complete and full redemption. The one who would fully satisfy God's justice, the soul who sins must die, and then provide God's mercy and forgiveness through full redemption. This is 700 years before Jesus came. All the other sacrifices, through all the history of God's working with people, from the first animal killed in the Garden of Eden, through all the animals killed in the Old Testament, were simply pointing forward to God's ultimate promise of forgiveness. And know this, you want to make sense of the cross? You want to understand it? Jesus Christ came in fulfillment of God's promise. He was the one who would crush the head of evil. He was the one who would be the lamb led to slaughter. He was the one who would be pierced and crushed and by whose wounds we would be healed. He was the one. Look at Matthew 121. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus didn't die on accident. The cross wasn't a mistake of culture. People didn't blow it. No. From the very beginning of time, once man fell, God was going to provide an innocent substitute pictured in the garden, pictured by every lamb and bull and dove that was ever killed. God was going to provide a lamb who would provide absolute redemption. Jesus Christ was that lamb. Look at John 1.29. It's why John the Baptist says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and... And this is what John said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why death? Because unlike us, we who compromise all the time, we who make promises and don't keep them, we who tell about consequences that we don't hold people to, we who claim to have justice but have no justice at all, unlike us, God really is just. And when he says the soul who sins will die, Death really has to happen or else he's no longer just. He's not a God worth serving. He's absolutely just, but he's also absolutely merciful and forgiving. And how does he do it? By by allowing himself to become a human who lives perfectly unlike us and then dies in our place. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You need to know that, that Jesus lived a perfect and innocent life in our place. 1 Peter 2.22 says that he committed no sin. No deceit was ever found in his mouth. He did what none of us ever did. He fulfilled the law. He lived his whole life without breaking it. But then he died on the cross in our place as the, and I hope you'll mark this down, as the innocent substitute. He was the third party. He was the redeemer. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The soul who sins will die. The perfect son of God died in our place so he could give us life. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin whatsoever, the lamb without blemish, to be sin for us so that in him we might become what we can never be on our own, the righteousness of God. John 19.30, when he had received the drink, Jesus is on the cross, dying for the sins of humanity, experiencing that which he didn't deserve, death, so we could experience that which we don't deserve, life. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. comes from the Greek word, tetelestai. Do you know what it really means? Paid in full. It was used to stamp debts that were paid in fullness. Paid in full. What was paid in full? The soul who sins must die. The justice of God was fully satisfied. Payment to our debt was made. It is finished. The cross is the final word. Every other religion, and you need to note this, every other religion on the face of this planet is all about our performance. What we have to do to get it right with God, what we don't have to do to keep it right with God, and how we can re-earn our place with God. Every single religion is all about our performance, what we do and don't do for that particular God or for those particular gods. Only Christianity is about the one true God's performance not what we do for him but what he did for us with outstretched arms on that cross when he died in our place you need to know that the only requirement we have is the same requirement that that Israel had in Egypt it's not enough that the lamb is killed. It's not enough that the lamb has died. It's not enough that the blood has been shed. It has to be applied. You have to put the blood on the door frames of your house. You have to cover it or it's not enough. The firstborn will die and some experienced it. How awful is that? And the same is happening today. It is true that Jesus came as the perfect lamb of God. It is true that He died in our place on that cross. It is true that his blood was shed. It is true that that is enough to experience redemption, but until we use our free choice to apply his blood to our life, we are going to experience death. I mean, performance isn't there. We have to apply what God's done to our lives. And you just need to know this: nothing else will do. God can't wink at your sin and say, I forgive you because God is just. And he said, the soul that sins will die. But he wants to forgive you and he's made a way. Jesus died in your place. But you have to choose by faith to let his blood be applied to your life. But you know what we do instead. We do exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. You know what we do, right? We try to cover ourselves with... Something easy, the closest thing to us, something we understand. So we cut off our own fig life, a fig leaf of sorts and, and we cover ourselves. But you need to know that the fig leaf isn't enough. You can't cover your guilt and your shame. You can't solve your problems by covering yourself with fig leaves, you know. We do it with good works, that's our fig leaf. We do it with generosity, that's our fig leaf. We do it with religion, that's our fig leaf. It it doesn't work. It can't. And so, you're going to make sense of the cross. You need to know that Jesus' death on the cross is relevant to you. Jesus' death on the cross is relevant and essential for every one of us. Jesus said it in John 10.10, I've come that you could have life and have it in all of its fullness but you don't deserve it. The Saul who sins will die, he came so that we could have what we don't deserve. How could he do that? Because he became the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Look at John 3.18 and this is where the blood has to be applied. This is where our choice has to be engaged. Whoever makes the choice to believe in him, to put their trust in him and his death on the cross for our sins, those people are not condemned. They have life and life in all of its fullness but, and I hope you'll get this, whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not chosen to put their trust in the name of God's one and only son. And if you don't apply the work of Jesus on the cross to your life. You can be really religious, but you're going to die. You can be really generous, but you're going to die. You can look like the best person among us, but you're going to die because the soul who sins must die. But God isn't just just, he's also forgiving. You have to trust Jesus, you have to apply it. So, so let me say it with as much clarity and poignancy as I can. Without Jesus, we will receive only God's justice, death and loss. But with Jesus, we will receive only God's grace because Jesus paid the full price, paid in full, and it's finished. And when we trust Jesus and his death on that cross, we receive not what we deserve, but what he earned and made possible for us, God's grace. So I go back to the beginning. Here's the truth. Without the cross, without the blood and the death of Jesus, we have no hope. None. And so here's how it can apply to our lives. Here's how we can weave it into the fabric of our world today. If we want to experience the hope of God's grace, rather than the justice that we deserve, then we have to receive Jesus by faith. It's the only way. He's the only way. Romans 6 23 says, the wages of sin is death, God is just. That's got to happen. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. On the one hand, just. There needs to be a death. On the other hand, merciful and forgiving. That's Jesus dying on the cross. But we need to receive the gift. Have you? John 1.12 says it straight up. To all who did receive Jesus, the gift of life, the gift of his death and burial... For our sins and his resurrection for new life, to those who make the choice not to walk away from God, but instead to repent and turn back to God and put their faith in Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, to those people who use free choice to come back to God in Jesus' name, God gives the right to become what they have no right to become children of God. Are you? Have you? in this moment just before we move back towards worship I want to encourage you to take this step I want to encourage each and every one of you to make sure you're a child of God that the blood of Jesus is applied to your life and that you're walking with him instead of apart from him so just before I finish this talk and we move to worship would you bow with me in a word of prayer and as we bow if you're already a Christ follower you know you are Talk to God about whether you're walking with him or not, but if you're not yet a person who's experienced the power of the cross to forgive you, won't you now? Take my words in this prayer and make them your words. Just say, Jesus, I I know that I have sinned. I'm guilty. I've walked away from you. And I know because you're just that I have to experience death because of that but I believe that you gave me the gift of forgiveness in life through Jesus' death on that cross. And so I'm giving you my sin and by faith asking you to apply the blood of Jesus' death to my life. I'm trusting you to make me a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now if you prayed with me and before we move into worship, I want to encourage you if you're in one of our campus settings here in Plymouth or Grosseal or Celine or Brighton, would you you take out the program that you've been given today and just take out the connection card. And on there you can fill it out. There are two boxes that are relevant. One says you prayed with me to receive Jesus for the first time. The other you prayed with me to renew your faith. Either way, check that off and, and then I'm going to ask you to put it in the boxes as you leave each exit. There's one right outside the door, and here's why. We want to send you a letter of next steps that you can take in your relationship with God, and we also want to give you a Bible so that you can start hearing from God yourself. And if you're watching online, hit the What Next button, and we'll do the same thing for you, okay? But here's how I want to bring this to an end and move into worship. I want you to remember on this Palm Weekend that the cross is... The final word on sin. Yes, we have sin and shame and guilt, but we don't have to carry it because Jesus carried it for us. He paid the penalty for us. The payment for sin has been made. But for us to experience the hope of the cross, for us to experience new life, Jesus couldn't stay dead. He just couldn't. Because a dead savior is a dead savior. He had to be living to give us the gift. He had to be living to give us new life. What good does a savior in the grave do? There had to be a resurrection and that's the great news of Easter. Jesus didn't just die. He rose from the dead and I can't wait. I just literally can't wait to celebrate with you next weekend. I just can't wait. So let's not wait. Stand with me right now and let's begin the celebration of his resurrection together as we end this service.
1: Dear that hell you thank you for worshiping with us as always our prayer team will be down front if you like someone to further connect with you make sure you bring somebody to Easter next week have a
2: good week